Welcome to Jersey Guys Sports. Your sports talk home for the Yanks, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And I'm your host, Don. I want to thank you for listening on a very good Sports Monday for this podcaster. The Giants, we're going to talk about today, hang on for a crucial road win in Washington in a big NFC East showdown. The New York Rangers are soaring. They got a pair of weekend wins closing out on Sunday. I've now won seven straight. And Rutgers basketball dominates, just dominates a strong Wake Forest team at the rack on Saturday. Look out, baby. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to start talking about the New York Giants. The Giants got a just gigantic road victory Sunday in Washington to move closer to that elusive NFL playoff bid. It was a really gritty game against Washington in just about every way. It was filled with tons of big plays and close calls. You know, the NFL had uh, moved the game from a day game to a night game, and it turned out to be a good call on their part because it was a pretty exciting game, pretty controversial game, pretty fun game, and the Giants ended up on top in what was a controversial but very, very big NFC East showdown. There were near fumbles, reverse touchdowns on penalties, dramatic punt returns, and uh, non-interference calls. And I mentioned non-interference calls because the last play of the game ended with Washington throwing a ball into the end zone as the clock expired and a giant defender just draping himself all over the Washington receiver in a play that probably should have been called interference, but the refs did not throw the flag and the Giants won the game. Um, and I'll, maybe I'll start with that because there was a lot of things to talk about in this game, but I'm seeing a lot of the headlines today and they're focusing on that play. And rightly so. I can understand that, right? And obviously, if there's a call that should have been made and it didn't go their way, Washington fans have a right to be upset. And the Giants, in this game and in other games, have certainly had their share of, hey, this should have been interference. Misses by the refs too, right? But this is not surprising. And I, and I want to talk a little bit about this because it's been on my mind for a long time. I may have mentioned it on previous podcasts, but if not, I talk about it all the time with my friends and family when I'm watching NFL um, and college sometimes, you know, football games regarding the interference penalty. And that is this. While it sucks that that call was made at the end of the game, this is the germane point. The NFL has brought this upon themselves, Right. With their current interference rules, what they call or don't call on interference, let the kids play all this other happy horse shit, you know, like baseball's motto. Basically, what the NFL currently allows is lots and lots of hand fighting, right? And there's now these weird specific rules where, you know, if you touch and grab and pull and do this, but not enough so that it impedes this or that, they let it go. Right. And I'm not going to get into specific rules, but because it changes every year and sometimes within the year, how much you're actually allowed to touch and grab and hold the opponent. This never used to be the case. Years and years and years from from the time the NFL started up until probably six or seven years ago, you basically were not allowed as a defender almost to touch the receiver. You go out and you defend the ball, you knock the ball down. You, you basically can't push, grab, or hold the receiver at all when the ball is in the air. And that was interference. And it was clear. And there was almost never, ever 
a problem with refs calls about interference. And you know what? When the ball is in the air and someone's going to get the ball, you try to defend the ball. And if you got to the receiver early and grabbed him or touched him, it was interference. And that was the end of the story. And that's the way it should be. And that's the way it always has been. Now, the NFL, in their infinite wisdom, about five, six, seven years ago, has decided, and since then they've modified it every friggin' year, to allow defenders to touch, grab, pull, hold receivers, as long as it doesn't significantly impede their ability to get to the ball. Now, you take that as a rule and think about whatever kind of happy horseshit verbiage you're going to put around that. What is significantly impeding the receiver? That is so much up to fucking interpretation. Every ref can can determine on their own what is significantly impeding a wide receiver. If you hold their arm to their side, that's obviously impeding it. But you've seen that not called. You know, if you grab their jersey so that they can't run faster, in my mind, that's significantly impeding. But they don't call that all the time, right? You know, if you reach across a guy's body, you hit him, you don't let his arm come up, so he has to try to catch the ball with one arm, that's fucking impeding him. But they don't call that all the time. So you're going to get situations like this where this one looked clearly like like interference, but it wasn't called. And if I'm a Washington fan, I'm fucking pissed off because it looked like it should have been interference, right? But I'm telling you, the NFL has brought this shit upon themselves. And what they're going to end up doing, I'm going to tell you right now, at the end of this year, like they did a couple years ago in that playoff game when they had a problem with the Rams game and they... They better not allow more goddamn replays, which are the bane of my existence here. But they need to, instead of defining it more, which they ultimately will, I guarantee you they're going to come with more interference rules, clarifications going forward. They should go back to where they were six, seven, eight years ago. Get your fucking hands off the receiver. Your job is not to grab the goddamn receiver. Your job as a defensive back is to run with them and when the ball's in the air, try to knock the pass down or intercept it. You cannot touch, grab, hold the goddamn receiver when the ball's in the air. And because they allow some of that, and the interpretation is varied and up in the air, you know, every single year and within the year sometimes, you get this kind of calls because it's ambiguous all the time. Everyone asks, well, is that enough? Enough shouldn't be a thing. It should be ultimate like it has been forever. For 30, 40, 50 years in the NFL, if you grab a receiver when the ball's in the air, it's interference. What the hell is wrong with that rule? It worked great. No one was ambiguous about it, right? No one was confused by what is interference and what wasn't. For 50 years, nobody was confused. Now, every time there's clutching, grabbing, people getting in the way, and confusion about what should be and shouldn't be interference, and it's goddamn horseshit, and the NFL deserves every bit of controversy they're getting, Every bit of embarrassment that they're getting now because of this stupid friggin' interference rule. I've been complaining about it offline forever now, and it's just ridiculous. Stop allowing defenders to fucking grab receivers when the ball's in the air. It shouldn't be a thing. It's never been a thing. And now it is a thing for the last five or six years, and you and you get what you deserve in the NFL. I'm sorry. That's all I got to say on that. Enough. Let's get back to the Giants game because I have a few more things to say before I move on to the Rangers. So the game was very suspenseful, up and down the road. And the game ended like that. And, and if, you know, to just give a quick.
quick 10 second recap before that, before that final play of the game, which was called, not called, and, and the Rangers walked off, the Rangers, the Giants walked off the field victorious. You know, there was a stop at the one yard line on a, on a Heineke scramble just before that, where they knocked him out of bounds at the one yard line. There was an ensuing touchdown by Washington callback by um, an illegal procedure. Uh, the wide receiver lined up incorrectly. Uh, all kinds of big plays in this game. There were fumbles that weren't fumbles because the knee were down. There was, you know, all kinds of dramatic punt returns. Lots of stuff going on. Lots of stuff going on. A couple things of note for the Giants in this game. Um, Barkley played better than he has recently. I, I still think he's absolutely not worth whatever 10 or $15 million horseshit you know, salary they're going to pay him in the next couple of years. It's going to be a goddamn waste of time. He is overrated times a thousand in my mind, just times a thousand. He is just, he's fine. He's a good running back. There's a thousand of them around. You cannot pay this guy $15 million. I'm sorry. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Um, they've been singing his praises for five or six weeks, you know, all the while, while he did nothing. And this game, Thibodeau actually did some good things, which was great, at least in the first half. In the second half, he didn't show up at all, whatsoever. The announcer didn't say anything. So many keys that got burned on, on end of rounds where he, you know, again, didn't hold the end as a defensive end. But the first half, he was actually very, very good. Um, he was useful despite, you know, what he, what he hadn't been in the last couple of games. He had a a game-changing play in the first half where it was, you know, a sack he, and he caused a fumble and he, and he recovered the fumble and he picked it up and returned it for a touchdown, you know, at the two-yard line and ran it in and it turned the game around early on. It was a huge play. It was something that you expect from a, a number five overall draft pick and something he has not done all goddamn year. Um, he has been terrible as far as sacks and he had a great first half and the announcers definitely called that out. But uh, he hasn't done much else, and he certainly didn't do much else in this game. Still, it was great to see him do some good things. And hopefully this is a sign of things to come for Thibodeau, and we'll see if he can keep it going. Wrapping up with this Giants game, let's see. Daniel Jones, um, he was decent. Um, He was good. He was not great. Um, He made some competent throws on what I would rate easy and medium difficulty chances, meaning that, you know, he had a pocket, his receivers were kind of open. Uh, He made pretty good passes on those, you know, as pretty much any NFL quarterback should, right? Um, He never really made something from nothing, you know? Um, He did have a few good runs. I, I should take that back. Let me walk that back a little bit. He did, on a few occasions, have some good runs when there really wasn't anything there. But, you know, you almost never see, and we didn't see in this game, you know, him under big pressure, you know, whatever, moving into space and, and making a fantastic throw on a big third down. You We haven't seen that really this year, you know, or forever, you know, for Daniel Jones. He he doesn't seem to be that kind of quarterback. Um, it's hard to make a blanket statement like that, but it continues to be very hard to to rate Daniel Jones because the line has been in turmoil. The line was pretty good in this game. We actually had um, some decent run blocking, and he had some decent protection on and off against a very good Washington Commanders pass rush. Um, but again, I would say Daniel Jones was good 
but he certainly was not great. And and I guess that's all we can have from DJ at this point. We're going to have to see. The jury is still out on Daniel Jones at this point. Um, but I, I'll leave it at this, and then we'll move on. Um, Daniel Jones seems to have a ceiling. Let's put it that way, right? Every quarterback has sort of a floor. This is as bad as they can be, you know, and a high floor is what you want. And you want a high floor and a high ceiling, right? That's what you want in every uh, every quarterback. His floor seems to be kind of low. You know, we've seen where he turns the ball over. He can't throw accurately on easy passes that cost the Giants games. But his ceiling also seems to be kind of low in itself, meaning that he doesn't have, you know, 400-yard passing games, 350-yard passing games where the team sucked, except Daniel Jones won the game because of his play. You know, every team that has a great quarterback has games like that. And we haven't had a game like that. This is, what, his fifth year? We have not had a game like that, right? Where, you know, we would have definitely lost this game except for Daniel Jones, right? Now, we don't have wide receivers for him, right? Uh, we have not had a running game, uh, partly because of Barkley, partly because the line is not very good, right? Uh, it's hard as a quarterback to be judged under those circumstances, and I'm tired of saying it week after week, but it is, right? It's not a fair comparison, but as I say, as I always say every week, there are times when you can judge quarterbacks no matter what the team is, right? Every single week, there's at least a few plays where there's a big open pocket and open receivers, what do you do, right? And the jury's still out. But I'm saying he does seem to have a certain ceiling where he can only be this good, you know. And, and it's unfortunate. And I'm just hoping that I'm wrong and the future is wrong because I don't see a situation now where they're going to get rid of Daniel Jones. And I, I want them to, but I don't see it's going to happen. But he, in this case, he played a good game. He hit open receivers most of the time. He made a couple big plays on third down, which was great. He ran for a few first downs, which was great. And the Giants defense hung in there enough, um, particularly in the second half, played well enough to stop the commander's team and a good quarterback that they have on their team. The Giants defense could not stop the run for their lives, but they, they held on enough, made enough big plays in the end, and the Giants won a very dramatic controversial football game over the Washington Commanders on Sunday night and put themselves in control for a wild card position in the 2022-2023 playoffs. Let's go, Giants. All right, let's move on to the New York Rangers. So, I'd like to report some good news. The New York Rangers are rolling, baby. Look out, man. The Rangers beat the Flyers on the road on Saturday. And then went on the road to Chicago on Sunday. And they won their sixth and seventh straight games. And the Rangers have seven wins in a row. On Sunday night, Igor was in and looked great again. <clears throat> as the Rangers won 7-1 to one in Chicago. Seven wins in a row. Seven goals. Igor looked like Igor. Sunday night was a pretty great game. Now, Chicago's not a good team, uh, but, you know, Philly's decent, and, and they beat Philly on the road on Saturday night uh, with our backup goalie. And, and, you know, I have to say, by the way, uh, uh, just throw a little cold water, and I don't want to because the Rangers are playing as well as they have all season, but the Rangers need a backup goalie this year, and I'm sorry. They won Saturday night in Philly, but... 
I, I can't, I, 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 it's been so long since I think the Rangers have not had a really good backup goalie, but Halak is not doing the job this year for the Rangers. And he is an average to poor goalie. And every time he's in, we're in danger of losing the game. While Igor is soaring at the moment, you know, we, we do not have a good backup goalie and we need to go out and get one. That alone being said, Rangers still managed to win Saturday night and Sunday, everybody contributed. The kid line was great. Um, the Rangers scored seven goals and by the way, managed to hit two more posts on Sunday night, seven goals and two more posts. We are leading the NHL by a wide margin in posts hit, right? We're now up to 34 posts hit this, this season, which is just insanity. 34 posts hit. I mean, there's more posts hit than games played. We are leading by a wide, wide margin. And while good teams make their own breaks, that's just how it is, right? Generally, if you're playing well enough, you get good breaks. So no matter what they're doing, you're not going to put it on the Rangers, just hit the post too many times. They do, but that hasn't been the reason they've lost when they played poorly. But God damn it, if they get a few breaks here and there, things things tend to go differently. I will say this about goals in hockey compared to other sports and stuff. You get a home run in baseball. You get a touchdown in football, right? You get a big hoop in basketball. Momentum is what it is. In hockey, when you score a goal, it completely changes the momentum of the game, you know, 80, 90% of the time. It is a huge thing to get a goal to not a goal. And it, it, it really doesn't matter what the score is most of the time. Unless it's 6 nothing. you know, a goal is a gigantic thing momentum-wise. And it and it's amazing. And it sounds silly to say that. Of course it is. You scored a goal. But what I mean is that the play, you watch the teams play up and down the ice. Maybe it's, maybe it's, 3-1, right? Say say the, the Rangers are winning 3-1 and they're playing real well, right? And and they're they're dominating. It should be 4-1. should be 5-1. They're just wiping the other team with the ice. Now, the other team gets a deflected goal, right? They come in. They're not playing well. Something bounces off someone's ass and it goes under the goalie. And, and now the Rangers opponent, we'll call them Chicago. We'll just shoot. They played them. Nature 3-2. This didn't happen, but I'm just giving you an example, right? So now instead of being up, 4-1 or 5-1, you know, you get a bad luck goal against you. It's just a bad luck goal. You're still playing really well, but the other team scores a goal and they get 3-2. And you watch over and over again. Suddenly the ice is completely tilted the other way and everything ends up being in the Rangers' zone. The team just gets so much momentum from scoring a goal in hockey compared to other sports that it's a really big deal. And all of a sudden, you know, all those one-on-one puck battles are going to the team that scored the goal. You know, all the times where you couldn't beat the defender, all of a sudden, you know, the, the opponent is beating Rangers around the end and getting to pucks faster and getting more shots on goal and getting to rebounds. It is a giant mental thing. It inspires teams who score goals and it tilts the ice remarkably, remarkably. And if anyone is a hockey fan, you know this. And if you're not a big fan or a casual fan, you should know when someone scores a goal, the game really changes. I mean, significantly such that it's almost defies belief and understanding in that, you know, a team can play well for, for 50 minutes 
one other team scores a goal and all of a sudden the ice just tilts the other way as if the other 50 minutes didn't happen. And I don't understand it much, but it's quite a huge mental thing in the NHL. And for the Rangers, and I'm going to tie this all up now, for the Rangers to hit 34 posts, 34 posts, right? I just told you how big one goal can be, right? Suppose, I'm not going to say they all went in, right? But just half of them, half of the 17 of those went in. Think about 17 different momentum changes this year, right? 17 of those 34. That's not asking for a lot, right? Half go in, half don't. Because the next highest team doesn't even have 20. The Rangers have 34. That's how ridiculous the Rangers have been as far as bad puck luck this year, right? And off the post. and So they have 34 of these. How ridiculous is that? If just half of them, half of them went in, just think how much better, you know, the Rangers could have been. But again, I want to say... How good or bad the Rangers are is not about the puck luck. You make your own puck luck, but boy, oh boy, sometimes the hockey gods, man. I've been saying it all year. These posts are driving me nuts, and certainly they have. Now, the Rangers have been playing well in all facets of the game. One negative I want to talk about real quickly before I move on. <clears throat> Philip Heedle got hurt on Sunday night's game, and that pisses me off because he has been a big part of this New York Rangers resurgence. Heedle is a young center, part of the kid line. Um, he's been hurt a lot early in his career. I mean, he's 22 or 23, but he's already like his fifth year for the Rangers. And he's been hurt a lot, including out for about a month this year, which I think was a concussion. And he looked like he got hit on the head again on Sunday night in what was a late, terrible hit by a Chicago defender. And if he's out for any length of time again, it's really going to hurt the Rangers. They're finally getting rolling with their lines, and to not have him at center is really going to hurt the Rangers. And and it just drives me nuts if he's actually going to be hurt. Uh, he has been a key to the Rangers' resurgence, both personally and as a team, um, feeding his teammates and scoring goals. He's been really key. And he had a big playoffs, by the way, last year, too. <clears throat> anyway, seven in a row Rangers. They play the Pittsburgh Penguins on Tuesday night in a big game. Let's go Rangers, baby. I'm going to move on to Rutgers basketball and wrap this podcast up. So Rutgers basketball had just a terrible week before Saturday afternoon's game where they lost a controversial game to the Ohio State Buckeyes on the road on a three-pointer where the guy was out of bounds before he took the shot. And then they lost at home at the Rack. Believe it or not, they lost a home game at the Rack, which they never do, um, to Seton Hall in a game in which both teams really did not play real well. But uh, Rutgers had all of 43 points at home. They lost by a bucket, um, missed a layup, you know, with 10 seconds left, and lost by two at home. Um, It was just a crushing week. So getting a win against a very good Wake Forest team uh, who had – Beaten Wisconsin on the road, by the way. This Wake Forest team is good. They were 8-3. and three. They had one in Wisconsin. They're in a very good ACC conference. And that's a conference, by the way, with Duke and North Carolina. Wake Forest is good. So beating a good Wake Forest team was important. And Rutgers came out and friggin' trounced Wake Forest on Saturday afternoon at the rack, looking impressive in all aspects, as they did so. And Rutgers played suffocating defense from the opening tip to the closing whistle Rutgers was suffocating suffocating on defense it was unbelievable they end up winning you know I don't even have the score in front of me this is a terrible job I made but it was like 81 58 or something like that 
and it was every bit as dominating as that score sounds. It, they trounced them. They held them. Uh, they, and I'll tell you what, watching Wake Forest play, Wake Forest is a good team. They, were, they shot well. They shot threes well. They moved the ball well. They have one of the more athletic guards in the country and certainly the highest scoring person in the ACC of all things. I think about that conference and having the highest scoring player on that team. Um, and he was really good. Um, they had another guard who was killing daggers, six threes, and the other guy on the team. Anyway, Wake Forest is a good team, but Rutgers played stifling defense everywhere on the court. And that was everyone from McConnell to uh, Amari to everybody. Um, Mog played, had a really good game, suffocating, suffocating defense. Um, the offense had very good rhythm. Um, when Mulcahy is in and healthy, the offense seems to look very good, although it didn't against Seton Hall. It certainly did <clears throat> against Wake Forest. Cam Spencer looks dialed in. He hit everything. I don't think he missed a shot anywhere. He hit every single shot from the field, including including a few three-pointers, as well as every free throw, because he seems to never miss free throws. He's up to like 97% free throw shooting for Rutgers this year, which is just insane. You could add two of our other players up, and you're lucky if you get to 97%. So forget it. Um it's hard to win at the rack. You know, I think that that's the uh, the lesson from this, guys. No matter how good the opponent is, you come to the rack, it's fucking hard to win. Uh, let me tell you, you know, you, the other coaches probably are getting chills up their spine when they look on the schedule and say, you know, we got to come to the rack because it's hard. And it doesn't matter who's on the Rutgers team. We lose Geo this year, right? We lose, you know, Ron Harper, no longer on the team, two of our stud players. And you know what? You come into the rack and it's really, really hard to win. Peichel just does such a tremendous job. There isn't a single game at home or on the road this year, by the way, that I think Rutgers was definitely the inferior team. As, as we lose players, we get new different players every year, and still we put a quality basketball product on the court every night, and Peichel is to be commended for this. Uh, once again, Rutgers basketball seems to be competitive and you know, they might be okay in the Big Ten this year. They're certainly not going to win the Big Ten. But, you know, there's a chance, with especially with how we play at home, that we will be very competitive again this year. Um, what else can, can I say, really? It was a tremendous win, an important win, especially after some, you know, just heart-wrenching defeats back-to-back that Rutgers basketball had. Um, it's great. It's really saying something. And um, the Big Ten... Conference games are going to start in in mass in in a few weeks, especially in early January. So it's time for Rutgers to get geared up and go forward. Let's go Rutgers, baby. And that's it for today, guys. I want to thank you for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. I want you to please subscribe to the podcast. You know, rate it well and review it well if, if you think you like it. And please tell your friends all about it. I'll be back soon with some more sports talk. I want to thanks. Thank you and have a good day. Thanks. Bye.